All right, so you are listening to Authentically. I'm your host, Charlie. And up next in this episode is a very, very, very special guest. His name is Ryan Gardner. He hails from Reno, Nevada, coming in hot with the Duke Coach K poster. I know this guy from Europe going uh, traveling the world with Fellowship of Christian Athletes where I met him. He's my homie. He's my close friend. He's my brother in Christ. And I am so honored and proud to call him a friend and one of our groomsmen. And he is a teacher. He's had to deal with this whole COVID and learning how to teach virtual and all that. So give it up for Ryan, as known as Mr. G in his class, Gardner. What's up, dude? <laughs> What's up, Ryan? Slash Landry Fields. You know, I'm I'm glad to be here. I'm like this. I'm super excited because I've like watched every single one of your episodes and I watch a lot of your like your your professional work news stuff and just to know that like you've interviewed like like Charles Barkley and then also me and you're just like <laughs> I'm nowhere close to that same level and it's just cool to be in what you do. Thank you, bro. You're not nowhere close because you're on a different level. <laughs> you're on a whole nother level you're in coach ryan level yeah my golf game's at least better <laughs> yeah, or at least you have a, a better swing so ryan man thanks thanks again for being here dude yeah absolutely and so right before this you were finishing up grading papers yes so you want to let the people know what what you're doing you're a teacher yeah. and you're a coach and how has that been for you especially over what's been a crazy 2020. I know you yeah. had to take a COVID test and you have to wear sometimes a face shield and a mask. How's that all been for you, man? Yeah, so I'm in Rio, Nevada, and I teach in Washoe County School District. Yep. And I do middle school math, um, eighth grade in honors algebra. And this COVID has been unreal crazy. And... It has been in my school district, the superintendents have just been like, hey, um, we don't want to get sued. So all of the choices are by the principals at each site. So if a parent got mad, they got mad at a principal, not the school district. So we've had zero like leadership throughout this. And it's just been figure it out. And like our school district, our state, when we first decided to come back, our governor was like, hey, I want to see your plans. I'll review your plans. And if they look good, I'll approve them. Mm -hmm. And our um, district sent in their plan. And our governor was like, this is so bad. I'm not even going to read it. And like we... Like one of the things was they didn't even meet with the health department and that to like figure out how bad this is like what do we do with kids with asthma and stuff like that mm -hmm. so there was this big huge meeting to like meet with the health department and there was times like they like muted the health department guy it was like hey you're talking too long you're done pause someone else gets to talk and after this huge meeting of him saying like it's unsafe to come back to school they're like cool we're coming back to school and you're like, cool. So the health department told us no, but we're going to do it anyways. Hmm. 
Um, but my principal here, uh, he's done a really awesome job, honestly, um, despite the superintendents doing a really poor job. Um, he has come up with a plan on like, he's put like barriers in the hallway so that the kids can only walk in one direction. Um, there's hand sanitations at the end of every um, hallway. The kids have to prove that they hand sanitize before entering your room. We clean desks after every single class period. If we use a laptop, we have to clean the laptop. And it's all day in a mask. But like one of the things that our like, um, electives are doing is they're scheduling in their day, like time for kids to go outside and take their masks off and breathe mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, the big thing though is kids learning is being really, really difficult because the kids are either an A day student or a B day student. So they're only in the building every other day. And so if I saw you on Tuesday, the next time I see you is on Thursday, and then the next time I see you is a week, next week. So I get to see you for a grand total of 80 minutes a week. And I'm supposed to go through an entire textbook with only seeing you 80 minutes a week. So that's been really hard. Um, and like the kids are supposed to be doing stuff at home, but there's no accountability for a lot of our students at home. So if you're told, hey, go do 40 hours of schoolwork on your own at home, that's not happening. Like the kids are like, I can, I'm home alone, I can play Fortnite, or I'm home alone, I can do four hours of math. And they're like, yeah, I'm choosing the Fortnite. <laughs> I'm like, I don't blame them. Like if yeah. I didn't have my mom at home at 12 years old, I'd do the same thing. Yeah. And we had a unique issue in Reno. So one of our COVID solutions is our AC and heater are off every other hour. Mm -hmm. And during the off hours, they're flushing fresh air from outside inside hmm. um, just to remove all of the air particles inside the building out. Um, but with all the California fires happening, Reno's getting all the smoke from that. So every time they flush fresh air in to get rid of COVID air, they're flushing smoke into our building. And so we've had probably three weeks of our school year canceled due to smoke days because the kids can't come to school because our building smells like smoke inside. How's that been for you to go into a work environment where it's basically like breathing in a forest fire, smoke? My principal has been super cool about it with like, hey, if you have asthma or something like that, um, don't come to work, just mm -hmm. use a laptop because the kids aren't in the building. We're basically Zoom meeting the kids all day during that day. Right. But the school district has been like untrusting of teachers to like be professional and do their Zoom meetings. So they're saying, you have to be in the building. You have to sign in on a school given laptop so we can like monitor your stuff. And I don't know, that's been super frustrating. Not from the standpoint of 
it's a smoke day and we're trying to take care of kids. It's the school district saying, we don't trust you as teachers. You need to come into a smoke filled room and do a zoom meeting. And that's just been like, that's been the most frustrating thing. Like parents have been super awesome through this. Like, Hey, my kid has missing assignments. What can we do to help? Or, Hey, we get that your job is stressful. How can we help? My principal has been super awesome with like solutions that are teacher focused and student focused. It's just been the school district that has been the most frustrating issue. What's been the biggest thing that you've learned, Ryan, from this whole situation? I know you mentioned parents stepping in. Like I may be seeing something that you wouldn't have seen being a teacher through this, A, and then B, what do you think a good solution is to fix what you're having to deal with right now? I think the biggest success is this is forced because a lot of teachers are older generation. I am one of the youngest teachers in the school district here. At 29 years old, I'm still very much the youngest. And I've been the youngest for almost a decade in this profession. And because so few people want to teach in our school district, because our school district is like cost of living. Our school district is the 20th to last school district in the country. So if you want to be a teacher in our school district, you need a spouse with a good paying job or you you can't live in Reno because of how bad they pay teachers here. Hmm. And so there's so few young people getting in the profession here. Um, so COVID has forced older teachers to have to use technology. And I think that's been really, really good because it has forced us to become more 21st century minded and stop doing the because I learned this in school, you need to learn this in school and start becoming, okay, we're not going to cover the whole textbook this year. It's unrealistic. What are things kids actually need to know for the next year? And it's been more kid focused and it's been more um, like performance instead of we got to get through this textbook or I as a teacher get penalized or lose my job. It's been, no, the kid doesn't do this. Let's slow down. Let's make sure they got this. Let's use every piece of technology we have to make sure that the kid gets the best learning experience possible. And I think it's forcing the older teachers in this profession to evolve. And I think that's been the the biggest win for us. And I think the biggest con is it is exposed in our system how little our kids know and we just push through kids to the next level of just saying, you don't know how to multiply, that's fine, move to the next grade level. Oh, you don't know how to do X, Y, Z, that's fine, just move it to the next grade level. Hmm. And because we are moving to more technology focused, the kids are doing digital data that our whole school is seeing, the whole school district is seeing, and it's exposing how well the kids know. We can't just hide behind my paper test and no one else sees it. It's in my own little classroom, and then I can fudge grades to make it look good. And it's just exposing that it is easier to say, move on, you have an 
a passing grade and then it doesn't affect me as a teacher versus saying this kid doesn't get it and we need to hold him back and mm -hmm. I think it's showing that we need to relook at our curriculum and say what are kids getting and not getting and what, what do you think the biggest improvement can be seen you know firsthand how public school systems in America are today what do you think a big improvement is needed the biggest improvement needs to be we need to scrap everything of curriculum that we have right and start from fresh hmm. and say uh, public education is not meant to say we are preparing you for a tech job that's not what public education is for public education is to say no matter what job you want you can you have the skills to figure it out yes not to do it like I don't expect someone to leave public education and become a world-class reporter day one. Right. But they have the skill set to say, okay, what does this job require? How do I get from where I am now to where I need to be? Yeah. And our, our education system is not doing that. It is just saying you need to know how to add and subtract and graph, and you need to know who the 43rd president is. <laughs> And, but that's not preparing kids to look at a job and say, what are the things that we need to be successful at that job? And how can I find the resources to get me there? Right. And, and go yeah. ahead. And so that is what we need kids to finish with and going from there and working backwards from there to kindergarten from seniors to kindergarten to say, how do we get them there and do our baby steps to get there and then build curriculum around that that's useful. And it's not to say we need to say we're no longer doing math class because when was the last time you did um, the quadratic formula? It's to say the reason we're doing the quadratic formula is X, Y, Z. And it cannot be because I had to learn it in school. Hmm. So to make it more practical for what happens in real life when they graduate and to make it more individualized for each student would you say yeah because individualized for sure but I think it like if we're whatever we do it needs to be saying because at the next grade level they need this skill because xyz and right. then the last skill level has to be for when they get a job they need this because xyz Gotcha. So giving what you're already been teaching in a way, an explanation behind it. Right. And it cannot just be because the textbook says we have to, because the district says we have to, common course says we have to. Yeah. It needs to be this quadratic formula engages this pathway in your brain and that pathway in the brain we're trying to strengthen because at the very end, we need that pathway for you to make better decision making. And it needs to be like the exact pathway that we're trying to carve. It's no longer saying this was useful before we had calculators. Like your phone can do so much. It should be, I need to understand why the calculator came up with that answer. And I need to know how I can use that calculator in a useful way. Yeah, that's good. And then I know for my brother, he, 
I mean, he was super smart. He went to Stanford. He actually, you know, graduated a year early because he homeschooled himself. He was like getting bored with, you know, what was being taught. And he was like, you know, I can learn this and more and then I'll graduate early, you know? I mean, for for me, for my parents, you know, they felt it was a calling for them to put my myself and my siblings in a public school setting. And I'm really grateful to God they did that because, you know, that really, um, we were able to, meet so many different kids, so many different people, and was able to uh, influence how we see the world and see culture and meet all different types of people. And to, that was almost like their mission field as we were sending our mission field to be um, believers in that setting. And so for you being a Christian, a man of God, how is it um, for you? I mean, because you, you also went to a public school, right, growing up? I went to a private Catholic school from pre-K to eighth grade. Okay. I went to a public um, high school and a public college. Yeah. How's that been for you to grow up, you know, Christian and then go a Christian school, Catholic school, and then go to a public school and then as a student and now a teacher being a believer? Yeah. Yeah. So I think a huge thing for me was going from like a small Catholic school to a high school. Like, yeah. I had the same 30 classmates since pre-K to eighth grade. Mm. And like, like dating, for example, was never a topic because it was the same 15 girls you grew up with <laughs> and they were like sisters. Yeah. And like, it wasn't even like something we talked about. You know, like we didn't have like a sex ed class or anything like that because it was just so assumed that was off the table. Right. And then to go from that to a school of 2000 kids, um, that was just a huge thing. Like, like I was so sheltered from like girls and like drugs and alcohol and movies, like people were referencing like a rated R movie and like something like Terminator like something that's like culturally iconic. And I had no idea what they were talking about. Not even the reference within Terminator. Like I didn't even heard of the movie. And to go from that was such a huge culture shock and realize how big the world is. And to like then travel the world and realize how small my high school was in comparison to the world. And so and then like it led to like a conversation I had with my parents the other night in which um, they were talking about a family member of mine who suffers from fetal alcohol syndrome and how my parents like don't have the skill set to have those conversations about this family member because of how little exposure they've had to something like that because their world has been small going to like Christian schools, living in the same town, having the same friends for the last 30 years. And so for me, just seeing how big everything is and seeing like how much different culture and diversity and learning disabilities and what someone thinks is appropriate versus not, it's just shown me like my viewpoint is so like a minority than everyone else. 
and it's just kind of exposed me to how little people actually know about Christianity. Like they know that Jesus is the center point of it and you, you're supposed to be a good person, but there's so many different viewpoints that people actually know nothing about it. And I think that's the biggest thing is people can say, oh, my mom was Christian, so I'm a Christian, or I grew up Catholic, so I'm a Christian. And they actually know nothing about it. Or to say we're a Christian country and they know nothing about Christianity. Yeah. And I think for me as a teacher, um, my one of the things a friend challenged me to do years ago was during testing, like the kids are doing state testing or whatever, he challenged me um, to pray for the class period for 30 minutes of that hour block. And I'm like, 30 minutes to pray for kids is so long. <laughs> and it feels like eternity. But fast forward 10 years later, 30 minutes praying for kids, I run out of time. And it's become like the kids have no idea I'm doing that. I'm just in the back room grading. Mm -hmm. And they have no idea that I've been praying for them for the last 30 minutes. Because mm -hmm. you just go to like one kid and you're like, I'm going to pray for that kid for one minute. And then you go to the next kid, I'm going to pray for him for one minute. And then you get through all 30 kids. And you're like, wait, I need more time because I thought of something for the first kid I need to go back to and pray for them for. And like, another thing is like, I need to go out of my way to be over the top kind. And by doing that, kids want to be in my classroom during lunch, before school, after school. And when it's outside of those school hours, then when kids like ask me those types of questions, I can be open about my faith and say, this is what I believe. But it's, I have to build those relationships and build confidence in them because my world is so unexposed to them for so many of them. And in what way is it unexposed to them? Like, like, just like I was saying, like, since the world is so big and there's so many different, like, ways to see the world of like, oh, I'm a Christian. And you're like, well, what does that mean? Or someone is like, so you go to church every day, so that means you're good at Kyushu? I'm like, no. <laughs> like, like, I think a bad thought about you all the time, not you, Charlie, but like you student like, <laughs> all the time. Like, like there are times I think you're an asshole and <laughs> I will think that. <laughs> and then I have moments afterwards where God was like, should you call students that? And you're like, probably not, but he was, he was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like, yeah. Like, such a common thing in the teaching world is especially in middle school and high school where teachers share students because um, like the math teacher shares the same student for English mm -hmm. is to go have a meeting and be like Charlie was such a jerk today in class I can't stand that kid and 
to just badmouth kids behind the kid's back is such a common practice mm. or the complete opposite. Like a teacher comes in and badmouths the kid and then that teacher leaves and then everyone badmouths that teacher for talking bad about that one student. And it's just these little gossip games of like, did you hear about why Susie was late to class? It's because, and I think that's a huge one for me as a Christian in this workplace is the behind the back conversations. And to either excuse myself from the room and be hey, I'm gonna go to the bathroom, I'll be right back. Because I never say, hey, you guys are gossiping. I need yeah. to eat. But I'm like, hey, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Or to like say, Susie was late, but when she got here, um, she did a great job in my class. Hmm. Sticking up for like, them. Yeah. And yeah. just being different than everyone else, I think is the biggest yeah. thing. Because as soon as people ask why you're different, then I can have a Jesus conversation. But until then, yeah. I just need to be loving. Yeah, that is powerful, man, because you're letting your actions speak. And I love it because you're the youngest teacher, too. And so um, I feel you on that, you know, being the youngest um, journalist at times in different workplaces and then hearing all this this gossip. It's just it's just crazy because they're supposed to, you know, set the example for us when it sometimes seems like as the young man, we're setting the example by our actions, by how we conduct ourselves. And it's like, shouldn't it be the opposite way? But then it's like, God has put you in that position for a reason right. to be an example, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And to, um, even if you're, you know, you're going to the bathroom or you're sticking up for Susie, like you're, you know, God is using, using you in those moments and planting right. seeds. So I'm super proud of you for even being the youngest in that building as a teacher, um, being an example for other teachers, your coworkers, for the students, especially that this is your ministry and God has called yeah. you for such a time as this because he knew that you could handle it during yeah. this whole pandemic, this shutdown to be um, that teacher that the kids need and that influence yeah. they need in their lives. So I just want to say I'm proud of you for that, dude. And, and you, God's giving you a special talent uh, to thank be able you. To influence these kids' lives and to be an example in your school, man. Thank you. I appreciate it, dude. Of course, dude. Yeah. And yeah, man. So I want to talk too about uh, Europe. Sure. So absolutely. Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I remember um, I was interning for the Pistons the, the summer before, and I'm like, I want to do another cool internship this summer. And I was just looking online. Oh, I really liked Fellowship of Christian Athletes when I was in high school, you know, helped start a FCA chapter at the, the public high school I was going to and was like, it'd be cool. So maybe maybe there's an internship out there. And I saw that there was Impact 2012. They're going to have seven guy athletes, seven girl athletes. They're going to select from all over the world, um, join together and, and do sports camps throughout Europe. And oh, by the way, it just so happened to be during the Olympics in 2012 in London, I was like, God, this would be awesome. And then, so when I got there, my roommate was awesome from Macedonia. I listened to Lecrae. And the only other American guy was Ryan <laughs> Gardner. Man, me. so I know for me, we've had really good conversations about this, but 
yeah. just that summer totally impacted all pun intended my life for sure in, during impact because we did so much from training together in the Alps mountains and doing sports camps in Italy. I know you went to Hungary, I went to Romania, and then we got gathered back as a whole team in England for mm -hmm. more training. Just those, you know, training exercises we did, like how in the world literally can you get people from all over the world to live together, train together, serve together with language barriers, but all one mission to, to share the love of Christ to these kids and to these people. Yeah. Um, it just changed my whole perspective um, on how what, what being a Christian is, and that's to, uh, in relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus and to look to him. He is the ultimate example. He's the king of kings, Lord of lords, yet came down and washed his disciples' feet humbly. And that's the only way, that's the only way any solution can happen in life is through looking to him as the example. And that totally changed me because I know for when my mom got remarried to that dude that it was just like very legalistic and like you know that made you feel awful for everything for listening to Christian hip-hop or listening to like Hillsong or whatever so anyways all that to be said like it shaped that it's a, an everyday life being the example as Christ would mm -hmm. be and I love that summer man so what, what did you love about it what did you get from that yeah so I I really hated how my church did mission trips mm. and it was, we're going to go to Mexico for four days. We're going to build a house and we're going to come back and we're going to have this Jesus high and we're going to have actually no impact because those people aren't going to remember your names. You're not going to remember their names and you're going to move on from your life. Yeah. So I, went researching for something outside my church to make an impact um, using my skills. Cause my skills are not like building houses. <laughs> <laughs> and so I found this website called Operation Mission. Mm -hmm. And what Operation Mission does is they interview you and find out what your passions are find out your skill sets, and then they research the world for a missions trip that is similar to you, you. And so that you can be at like a missions field that it is tailored for you. And so they came back with two. One was, we want you to play basketball and travel with athletes in action through um, Southeast Asia. I was like, cool but I don't actually want to play. I want to get more in the coaching side. Could I do that? And they're like, nope, you're too young. Um, you have to play. And I was like, hmm. that's not really what I want. And then the second one was um, Impact 2012. And they said it started in Italy. I was like, a missions trip with sports in Italy? Is that really a missions trip? Sounds more like a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> And just really prayed. And I was like, God, if this is totally you, you will make this unreal make sense. Mm -hmm. And so I contacted the group and they're like, hey, if you get X amount of dollars, um, that'll be a sign from God that you're supposed to do this. If not, give the money back to the people and 
let us know and we'll remove your name from the list. And the number amount they gave was like a quarter of the total ticket price for me to fly to Europe, my room, board, everything. And so I, I put out to my church, friends, family, my work, um, hey, I want to do this mission trip. Um, they want me to get X amount of dollars by that time. I raised enough money to not only pay for that quarter amount, but the whole trip amount, plus enough to pay for one um, other person almost. Hmm. Wow. And so like, I reached out to all my donors like, hey, I got way too much money. I'm like, uh, do you guys want it back? And they're like, nope. We want you to like make a donation. So like I gave a donation to FCA and I hadn't even heard of FCA before, like before really? going, wow. it was my first time even hearing about it. Huh. And so I, I took that as a good sign that God wanted me to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I went and I had no idea what the, actual organization was about or like you said seven boys seven girls that's the first time i ever even heard that we were paired off 14 <laughs> i oh, didn't even yeah. know that <laughs> oh you did it <laughs> oh that's funny yeah i remember seeing that on the fca site and i was like oh that's cool you know yeah so i knew nothing about it yeah it was just you're going to europe god's going to use sport to help wow it was with that, so, that OM group you talked to first. Yeah. They were just like, hey, we think this is going to be great for you. And I'm like, okay, yeah. trust in God. <laughs> yeah. Like, knew nothing about it. Didn't even, like, check the website. <laughs> just was like, this, God wants me to go here, so I'm going here. Nice. And I went. And the way I explain it to everyone is it was like a summer abroad to learn how to plant Christian sports camps in cultures that you've never been exposed to. Hmm. So like step one, engage with culture, learn what they care about. Step two, evaluate how can you use their culture and use sport together. And step three is how can you integrate God after you've built those relationships? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the biggest thing I learned through it is the first thing you have to do in any culture, if that means starting a new job at a new school, if that means moving to a new city, if that means meeting a new person, mm -hmm. the first question you have to ask is, what are you good at? It's not about you. It's about the person you're engaging with. Yes. And after you learn that, you can say, what do you like to do? Because like, I am good at math. I do math eight hours a day, every day. I hate doing math on my free time. Mm, <laughs> I yeah. just don't want to do it. Yeah. And so figuring out what people are good at and what they're passionate about are two different things. Mm. And figuring out what they're passionate about and then engaging with those passions with them. Like I have a coworker who she loves making little figurines. I could care less about them but that's what she's You're not a figurine person? No, <laughs> but that's what she cares about is building these tiny figurines. Yeah. And so every time we talk, it is about her and those figurines. Mm -hmm. 
and it's the whole point is for her to feel safe and comfortable around me. And then the last bit is what level of Jesus can I talk to with you? And something I learned was green, yellow, red. Green is you're talking to another fellow Christian and you're going to challenge them to becoming even more Christ-like. Yellow is someone who is willing to hear about your experiences of Christianity. And, but if they don't ask any follow-up questions, that's it. Don't push it because now you're a Bible thumper if you push it. And then red is maybe someday they get to know that you are even a Christian. And so like, it could be anything from like a hostile country, like you're in Iran where Christianity can get you murdered to you're with a person who got burned by the church 20 years ago and they hate all Christians. Because mm -hmm. if it's that person that hates all Christians, they just need to know that you're a good person and that they care about them. And since they care about them, then you can move to yellow of, hey, I'm a Christian. Yeah. And so, yeah, so Europe was a couple weeks in Italy learning those lessons. And then they sent us out in groups of two to more to go be the hands and feet and practice planting um, a sports camp. And then the way I describe it is after we spent two to three weeks um, planting a sports camp, we met again in England to kind of decompress and filter through and debrief what went well, what didn't go well, so that we can learn from those lessons. And then when we went home, we could implement them. That's awesome. And what, what was the, your fondest memory from that trip? I don't know. The first one that came to mind was you had said some joke and I fell to the ground laughing over it. And you <laughs> fell to the ground laughing at my laugh. And we laughed for about 30 minutes on the ground. <laughs> And everyone, because it's like a group of 20 people, are just staring at us off <laughs> at the ground like we're a bunch of idiots. <laughs> That's awesome. And I think we're, I, I was wearing like a banana suit or Joel from Australia was there too or something. Yeah. <laughs> and then the guy from Italy, it was like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but like another memory I have is um, one of the things that, they wanted us to do was not to live in our sin or be legalistic, but for us to be cognitive that we sin like every 30 seconds, like God's standard of perfection is so unreal that you, yeah. every time you feel like you are getting close to it, <laughs> you are nowhere close. You need to check yourself. You are so far from God. Yeah. And one of the things they had us do is, Every time we thought of a sin, we had to do 10 push-ups. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yep. And like people would call you out on your stuff and you had to do push-ups. But if you called yeah. someone out, you also had to do 10 push-ups. Yep. <laughs> and it just became this thing that you were doing like yeah. five, 600 push-ups a day. <laughs> I know. And I got a heck of buff from it. But, right. <laughs> but um when they sent us out to go do our sports camp stuff, they're like, hey, we still want you to do your push-ups, but 
it would be weird for you to like do it right then and there in front of someone. So just like keep a tally in your head. And when you get home, you and God owe each other pushups. Yeah, and, and again, it was not meant to be this legalistic thing. It was just because at the very end, they're like, okay, don't go home and keep doing pushups, but go home knowing that God is so perfect and you are not, and you need God. Yeah. And that was the point of the lesson, but it was like a three month push-up lesson. But I was in Hungary and it is close to midnight and it's 102 degrees mm-hmm. at night. And um, beautiful starry night, just hot as hell. And the place we were living at had no AC. and my partner at the time was like hey did you do your push-ups this night evening I didn't see you do them because I we were supposed to keep the tally right and then when we got home supposed to do the push-ups and she's like yeah I didn't see you do your push-ups this evening you're like I didn't do them and she's like well how much do you have I'm like 450 she's like you better get to it (laughs) I'm like it's midnight I'm going to bed and she's like you're going to go to bed before you finish your promise to God. And I'm like, I'm like so mad at her. And I'm like, yeah. if I do these, will you stop? Like, will you like piss off basically? And she's like, Oh, yeah. swear word. You owe 104, 16. Now. <laughs> oh, gosh. Did you end so up doing like, them that night? So I did every single one. It took me like an hour and a half to do them all. Oh my gosh. But the second I finished 460 and locked out, clouds rolled in and it poured rain and it dropped by 40 degrees the temperature. Wow. And it was just this huge, like, because we were outside doing them because it's too hot to be in the house. Right. And just this, like, rain cleansing, like, God saying, thank you for keeping your promise. Wow. That's awesome. I'm going to do push-ups in honor of that right now. <laughs> it's for you man i can't hear you but <laughs> i remember that man that was crazy <laughs> <laughs> actually i remember talking to the, our team leader from germany thinking like you know baseball that'd be cool to coach baseball in hungary and so i remember date like david wanted me to do mm-hmm. romania he's like i really think i can use you in romania and i was like i think so but like i, I think hungary you know that would really be um a great experience being able to coach a basketball or you know minor pro team baseball camp Mm-hmm. and he's like I would think about it and so I was thinking about it and I'm like you know what all right this is gonna be a new experience Romania let's go and so um that was that was crazy because um we talked about this last week like we went with um uh this guy from Romania and he was like the first time he introduced himself he was like I love Jesus I get high on Jesus you know and he did that <laughs> and this is like crazy Romania yeah. dude and he like we went on a um he was like we went on the rooftop in Italy and he was mm-hmm. talking about 
uh, how he, you know, helps these gy the gypsy community out. And for me, that was such an amazing experience being able to like go to the trash dump where these gypsies live and to um, just bring a soccer ball and the, the, see their faces light up with the soccer mm -hmm. ball um, in a literal trash dump where a lot of these, these gypsies, they serve there or they, they are born there, they live there and they die there. And just to go there and to be there for a week or so, just, you know, to love on them and to just see that Daniel, when we all were done playing him, talking to him about God in Romania, you know, that also impacted my life, pun intended, impact in such an incredible way. Like knowing that this, like these people, like they have so much joy and yet, you know, they're just spit on and they live in a trash dump. And yet like how good in, especially our country in America we have in, it's this little bubble and we get all upset over, they're not being any Wi-Fi or like, you know, there being no Fortnite for your kids or something like you don't live where the trash goes and is dumped on. Like there's always something to be thankful for. And so, man, I just, it'd be cool to go back and to see those places where you're revisited and that impacted our lives. And then I remember too, we, uh, when we met back up in London, we got to pass the Olympic torch to each other. That was fun. That was fun. So it was not that year's Olympic torch. It was a former years, but still. Yeah. Incredible. Like yeah. how many people get to touch an Olympic torch in their life? I know. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. And speaking of like that, your partner, like hounding on you. Yeah. Um, we, I know one of the big things we were taught was norming, storming, and then performing, or like norming, storming, conforming, and then performing. Do you remember that? And how- I remember going over, but I don't remember all the details. Okay, yeah. So essentially it was like, we were put in situations to get riled up or to like stir the pot. You know, mm -hmm. we were woken up early and went on these runs through the mountains, or we carried an injured teammate down the mountain, or we, went and washed each other's feet, which that was another pivotal experience for me. Like, wow, like we're all, we have stinky feet and we're washing each other's feet. Like this is what Christ would do. And I knew like, man, whenever I get married, I'd want to do this in our ceremony, which we did to my beautiful bride and we washed each other's feet. And I knew like that was the only way our marriage could work is having Christ as the example of how to be a man and how to serve each other. And so I remember like there, I felt, I felt like there was just this, and then the, we we did uh, we had lunch and then we were like okay, we were told to run two hours straight around the driveway, so we were put into these situations to like I don't know almost get us to be real and take the masks off. Mm -hmm. And so I remember learning that specifically in Europe, and that's a big reason why I've carried that with me to this day. Is like why are we so? Is it maybe just from our American? Um, like politeness or just we just want to not offend anybody and put on a mask but are you really being your authentic self so what did you learn from all of those crazy exercises that we did like the push-ups I totally forgotten about that one yeah like going to carry an injured teammate with like just we had like what strings and poles or mm -hmm. having a full lunch and then running two hours straight or um mm -hmm. and that one I learned I remember 
David told me, dude, you ran like a half marathon. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I didn't even know that I could run that, which inspired me to yeah. run a marathon. So there's all of these things that happened throughout the summer that like totally impacted me. Like, how did that impact you? And what did you learn from being put in situations where you were forced to almost fight <laughs> with each other? Yeah. I don't think the, um, the fighting and all of that got to me because I kind yeah. of saw the bigger picture and like he's trying to get us to fight so that we can talk. Yeah. And like, though I never did any military stuff growing up in military households. Okay. Uh, yep. Them talking about drill sergeants and them trying to get you broken down so that they can build you back up. Mm-hmm. And just everyone that I've ever talked to from military stuff like that is like, if you have the mindset that they're going to scream and yell, you just smile, think of something that makes you happy. This is going to be over in a couple hours. Yeah. Uh, so those never really got to me in okay. the same way. Cause like, if I had a coworker here that did a bad job, that would get to me. But me doing a, a drill in which they're like, hey, carry this person down a mountain. I'm like, you're trying to get us mad at each other so that we'll talk. And because I see the end game, this never got to me. Mm. Um, but what got to me was the leader of our group who had created those like drills and activities would call me aside um, after every single one. And we had conversations after every single one. It was like, hey, what would the dream leader have done in this situation? And then we talked about the dream leader. And then he was like, what did you do? And then described to me. And he was like, did you meet the standard of a perfect leader? And you're like, no. He was like, were you capable of being the perfect leader? I'm like, well, yeah. He's like, then why didn't you do it? And that like really like called me out a lot of like, you can be a big time leader. Cause like I went to a small Catholic school in which I was definitely not looked upon as a leader. So I never thought of myself as one. Then went to a big private high school in which I was just, a fish among the sea and never really took any leadership role. Mm -hmm. And for him to be like, dude, so many people look up to you. You need to step up. That was the first time I really took those words seriously. Mm. And now it's like, that's the biggest lesson I took from those. It's like, I can be a big time leader. Like right now I am the youngest um, lead teacher in Washoe County and out of 8,000, um, staff members, that's a big deal. That's huge, bro. So, um, you are a big time leader. <laughs> so I think that was the biggest thing that I learned is I can be a big time leader and that I need to be. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds like cocky or like, self-arrogant or anything like that but like god gave me skills to look at a group and say i need you to do this i need you to do that 
and then people to like say, okay, I can do that, go. Mm -hmm. And like to get results, like my school right now is one of three schools out of 120 schools in Washoe County that are on pace for finishing the school year. And my, my staff on the stress chart is third to last out of those 120 schools and stuff like that. And just like, it's not meant to be like cocky or arrogant. It's just to say, God gave me these skills to use them. Yes. And th that's what I learned was if I don't use them and get people motivated and to feel, make people feel safe and comfortable yeah. while doing those things, then I'm hurting the group than helping. And that's yeah. not what God asked me to ever do. He wants you to be confident in the talents you've given him. Yeah. And you know that, and, that the parable of the talents too, where some hide them and some use them. Right? Yeah. yeah. And it's just one of those that like, the same, my job's to be a leader. Everyone does leadership classes. Everyone reads leadership books and everyone's told to be a leader in the US. But so many people fake it or want it and it's not what God had for them. It's very rare for someone to be like, no, this is what I'm meant to do and I'm going to do it. That's incredible, which is what you were designed to do, to be yeah. a leader. And now you're a husband and leading your wife and leading your future family. And I even think in your own family, you're being a leader, which can be a big burden, but it just seems to me like in every season of your life, you've stepped up and as a coach, being a coach is a leader. For sure. So um, I coached um, the University of Nevada women's basketball as a student coach. Um, so I was the same age as the athletes um, and just got to learn what it meant to be a collegiate level. Um, I've been a varsity head coach. Um, I was a varsity head coach at the age of 20 and to like look at an 18 year old and be like, no, this is what we need to do. Um, and then, yeah, I've been coaching. Let's see if we combine all of my seasons of coaching. Um, 21, 24 seasons of coaching. Wow. See? I mean, he knew it. He was just trying to pull it out of you. Yeah. That For was, sure. yeah, just similarly, I, I came in kind of a low, still struggle with like a low self-confidence, like in who I'm supposed to be, just letting what other people's opinions or people pleasing affect my mental state. And so 2012 was, <clears throat> was powerful because I remember him telling me like, hey, you're from the Detroit area and you're, you're part Filipino. That's a part of you. And you're big into family. Like God can use your gifts in incredible mm -hmm. ways. And I remember we wrote down our list of dreams and I, I just remember God used that to just boost my confidence going into life. Like, yes, you are, you know, you have like this, 
Detroit swagger about you. You have like this, you know, you're part Filipino and that's, that makes up who you are. You're a Christian and you love God and um, you have all these passions, you know, for like spoken word or in sports or whatever, like just to just thrive in the skill set he's given me for his kingdom and to be confident in that. That was a mm -hmm. light switch for me too, because I think there's times where I still wrestle with, oh, I don't know if like, what are they going to think? Or like, you know, they don't, who cares what people think? As long as God has created you for this purpose, like you being the ultimate leader you are for such a time as this, being a teacher, being a husband, being a family man, being a coach, like just run with that. And who cares what anyone else has to say? Because as we know, now as we learned from that summer, it's, a, it's super important that, especially as men, uh, you know, trying to follow Christ, that we have that confidence because the devil will do anything in his power to try to get us to not have that, to get us off track from who we're called to be. Absolutely. And yeah. I just think it's, don't hide from it. Like if God asks you to be a leader, do it. And if God has said, hey, your role is to sit next to someone and grieve with them, do it. If it's your job to wash every single person's feet, do it. Mm -hmm. Like it's your skills and talents were made for a purpose and you are not meant, not everyone's made to be a leader. If everyone was a leader, it's just a bunch of people walking in opposite directions. But like, there are so many things that like I suck at. I suck at keeping notes. I am so bad at it. And like, so I have a person on my team of teachers here that I'm like, you are so talented at notes. Will you take notes every meeting? And will you keep track of what we said the previous meetings so that we're building off of that and just stuff like that? Like, don't, don't try to be something that God hasn't created you to be. Totally. Yeah, that's so true. And I think a lot of people, they'll get into leadership positions and they weren't designed for that. Right. And they use their insecurities. They use their, um, they, they just use their jealousy to try to intimidate you and to try to keep you down and squash you. I'm sure you've seen those types of leaders where yeah. they'll use verbal abuse, emotional abuse, sometimes even physical abuse to try to make sure, hey, you're low on a totem pole. I'm the leader. This is how it's going to be. Or just, I've seen more often, not necessarily the abuse, though I, I, I've heard of it. The one I've seen the most is people who are overwhelmed with their leadership position and step back and say, I can't handle this. Mm -hmm. Someone else take over. And so someone else takes over without knowing all of the pieces. Because as a good leader, like Charlie, you should only know ABC. The next person should only know DEF so that you're not overwhelmed with everything. Yeah. And, but like when I step back and like someone else takes over and then you take over and you only know ABC of the bigger problem, you can't solve it because you don't know all the things that are happening. Right. Totally.
Well, I know you, I know you got a call and I don't want to keep you much longer. But... Oh no, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Um, so they call you Mr. G. Why do they call you Mr. G? For sure. Uh, Miss Gardner. Um, it, it first started with, uh, I have a very heavy Hispanic population of students. Okay. And Gardner is a lot of R sounds that are not traditional to Hispanic culture. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it was hard for them to pronounce. So they started with Mr. G and it's just kind of stuck since then. So and plus you're every, a G, right? Cause you wear Jordans. For sure. And, like, for sure. I, just, I wear, just teach it. <laughs> yeah. I wear dumb math shirts every day. I wear Jordans every day, but like I get like kids give me G's every year for, <laughs> but a huge part of it is um, middle school and high school. I lived in the principal's office. I was in trouble all the time hmm. and nothing for like breaking the law or anything like that, but like breaking school rules. I was yeah. in the principal's office all the time. Yeah. And what the blessing that God has given me with that is the kids who break the rules all the time in school, teachers always push off, like just go sit in the hallway or go outside or go to the principal's office. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm like, hey, kid who's sent to the hallway, do you want to come to my room? And my room during lunch is filled with all of the misfits. It's mm -hmm. all the kids who get in trouble. It's all of the, the bad kids. And they like get to ask me like, did you ever get in trouble for X, Y, Z? I'm like, yep, sure did. And this is what I learned from it. Mm -hmm. And instead of me being this fake, like perfect teacher for them to be like, he got in trouble and this is how he learned from it. They, they, they just see the honesty and the sincerity in it. Hmm. And so they like love to come to my room. And so I get Mr. G because it's a little bit less formal. Yeah. And it's like, I, I don't, I still want them to call me Mr. Gardner because there's still the like authority thing there. And I think the last name forces that kind of seniority type yeah. feel. Right. But I never want them to feel, I never want them to feel like we're best friends because that's where the Mr. Gardner comes in, the Mr. G comes in. Yep. Yep. But I never want them to be afraid to tell me what's happening in their life. Mm. Like, I cannot tell you how many times I get a story that you're just like, that's heartbreaking. How can I help? And because they're so like afraid that like you're going to try to fix it or you're going to tattle on them or you can't handle it. I think that's the biggest one is kids saying that you can't handle my life story. I have family issues. I have family problems. That's why I first got my first started teaching. I got family problems and they, they don't tell you what the family problems are. But that's enough to like get you to shut up as a teacher and move on. Yeah. But as soon as you like build that trust and they're in your room during lunch, they'll tell you what those family problems are. And I think that's the cool thing is getting to help. Wow.
Well, shout out to you. You win teacher, not only of Reno, Nevada. I feel like you should win teacher of America. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> I, there are so many cool people in this profession that I am trying to reach their level. <laughs> what, what inspires you? Is it Coach K? Coach K for sure does. Um, there's a principal in L.A., um, his first question, he always asked the kids who got sent to his room um, for trouble. It's not, how are you or what'd you do? Is always like, what's cool? What's happening? Hmm. And the kids start talking about what's cool going on in their life and stuff like that. And then he's like, that's awesome. You still enjoying that? And it's all these like positive things. Nice. And then after that, it's like, so why are you here? Well, I did X, Y, Z. And you're like, you seem like a cool kid. Are you better than that? Mm -hmm. And so that's a huge one for me. It's just his interaction with, with kids to be like, you're better than what you are. Yeah. And I know it. And then there's this one teacher in Pennsylvania um, she celebrates every little victory. And so she had one kid who got a one out of 20 on a test and she put a sticker and a smiling face and she's like, plus one. Woo. And then the kid goes, Miss Phillips, is that an F? And she's like, yeah, honey, that's an F. <laughs> and he's like, then why are we celebrating? And he's, she was like, because yesterday you got a zero out of 20. And today you got a one out of 20. You are a hundred percent better than you were yesterday. <laughs> yes. And she just like celebrates kids. And, hmm. and I'm just like, that's my big thing right now is like, we had to take this district test in which our kids are a hundred percent not ready for because of COVID. Like we would be ready six to eight weeks from now, right. but they forced us to take it. And we had, I had a student get 40% on it. And he's like, is that bad? And I'm like, what that tells me is how I can help you. Right. So if you were guy seven or eight, I would know that you need to be in my honors class. If you got a six or a seven, that would tell me that you are on pace for eighth grade. If you got like a four to six, that just means that I need to, as a teacher, to spend more time with you to make sure that you get this stuff. Yeah. And he's like, would you be okay with me spending more time helping you? And it was just this total difference of like, yeah, 40%, that sucks. You're an idiot to, Hey, what this test tells me is I need to spend more time with you and I need to help you better. Hmm. And it no longer became the kid did bad. It was my teacher said that he needs to spend more time with me. That's awesome. I love hanging out with Mr. Gardner. He's like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And just those mindsets from other teachers and just being reminded, just beat. The more I get that beat into my head, the more it spills out to my kids. Totally. You're almost gardening, if you will, in a way. <laughs> For you're sure. Plant, you're, you're planting seeds, you know? Yeah. And reaping the harvest of I'm sure over the years you've been teaching, you're seeing the fruits of your labor. 
you know, how kids yeah. have improved or. Yeah. Cause like just on. talking to like one kid, it was like, I was like, Hey, Elijah. Cause we were having a conversation. I'm like, Hey, Elijah, I'm going to be honest with you, dude. The reason I teach is cause I'm trying to produce the next heart surgeon. I want to make the next heart surgeon because I need that in 40 years. Mm-hmm. Dude, I don't want you to be my heart surgeon. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, that makes sense. Like, I'm not in the honors algebra class. I'm just barely passing. And I was like, but dude, I want you to be able to critically think. I want you to be able to know if your boss is screwing you on pay. I want you to know if you are paying enough for health insurance. I want you to be able to see numbers and be able to understand what they say. Right. And he was like, I want that too. I'm like, cool. Let's work towards that. Nice. That's awesome, man. So what's, what's your biggest dream in life? Other than being the next coach for Duke. (laughs) That's it. Um, It's still a possibility. Awesome. I think my biggest one that I've realized in the last couple of years in COVID has really opened my eyes to it. I really, really want to rewrite curriculum for the United States. Hmm. I I want curriculum to be something that is kid focused, career preparing, and not because I had to, you have to. That's amazing. God can use you to do that. Yeah. Mr. I, G. I just want, I just want education to be kid focused and preparing them for the workplace. Uh, which is what education should be, right? Shouldn't it be common sense? Should be. What the heck? Um, and then you also, you're having a book that's coming out. For sure. Uh, during COVID, I spent a lot of time at home mm-hmm. and had a conversation with a buddy about how much we hate the current college football playoffs. Mm-hmm. And Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama get in, and then the, the next best team who's going to lose gets the four seed. Yeah. And so just started talking it out. And started to realize the reason that those don't happen, because there's 101 different people who have come up with solutions to making a better playoff system. And every single one, they don't think about money. They just think about this was the dream situation to get the best teams there. But the NCAA is like, you're right, that would be super cool. But we make more money doing the way that we're currently doing it. So we're going to keep making more money. There it is, about the money again. And so the whole book is about how can we convince the NCAA with money to make football be a better playoff system? Nice. And so it's a bunch of reconferencing and reorganizing to get an eight team playoff system in which everyone makes a minimum of, or the NCAA would make a minimum of $65 million more a year 
and a maximum of $700 million a year. There you go. Sign this dude up to be on the college football committee. And then also U.S. Department of Education, take notice. Mr. G is, uh, has a lot to offer to this country and to the college football system. <laughs> so, all right, man. Uh, we'll just end this out. There's a segment called Are You For Real? I'm just going to ask you four quick questions just about you. These could be fun. They could be anything. Are you ready for it? You hit me. All right. This segment is called Are You For Real? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mr. G, Ryan Gardner. Number one, are you for real? If you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? I would want to know what you are thinking before you think it. Why? Because I figure if I'm a superhero, I'm going to get in like a fist fight. Yeah. And if I know what you're going to do before you do it, I can always win because I can dodge your punches. Yeah. Or if I'm a superhero fighting a bad guy, I know what your evil plot is before you even create it. Okay. Nice. All right. Are you for real? Number two. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that in Europe, we had many incredible cuisines, actual pizza, actual Italian food, um, mm -hmm. some great brown sauce in England. Mm -hmm. Love that stuff. If you could have any meal in the world, what would it be and why? Amber and I asked this to our, our small review last week. Are, are we saying any meal ever or any meal from Europe? Any meal ever. It could be from Europe. That might have inspired okay. you. Well, because the any meal ever, there's this goulash that we had in Hungary. Mm -hmm. They build a giant hole in the ground and they fill it with hot coals and they put a pot in and all the local farms, whatever's in season, they bring what they have. Yeah. And you put it in the pot and then they boil it and then they bury the pot and then let it steam for like seven, eight hours. Hmm. And what's cool about goulash is it will never taste the same twice because whatever farms come, whatever's in season is there. And so it's always a community event and it's always um, different. Mm -hmm. So I would love to do another goulash event. Goulash event. That is awesome. I have to try that and we should have it together. Sure. All right. Are you for real? Number three. Who do you think is the greatest basketball player of all time and the greatest coach of all time? I think oh, Coach K is the greatest coach of all time. Yep. <laughs> um, is Izzo up there? No. In no. Your book. Sorry. What? Sorry. Okay. Okay. <laughs> if not top top three or top five. I put Izzo in the top ten. Top ten. Okay. Well, you can't forget about Coach Wooden. Coach Wooden. Coach Wooden. Coach, above Coach K. Coach Phil. Um, Tex Winters. Phil Knight. Phil Knight, for sure. Um, Coach K. Dean Smith. Roy Williams. Dean Smith, yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. The Godfather. Uh, Red Arbach. Yeah. But... I just think what makes Coach K so great is he does events um, where he takes the day off from work 
and he schedules half hour blocks to just recall his old players and just have like Zoom meetings and reconnect. Yeah. And screw basketball, screw championships for someone to care about their players that much. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what Coach Wooden would do too. For sure. Yeah. And then best basketball player. I love Oscar Robinson. I think. Okay. I think he doesn't get a lot of knowledge because he doesn't have championships and he wasn't in an era of flashy. Yeah. But you put him in today's game with television on every night, unreal. Averaging a triple-double, having 100 more triple-doubles than the next closest person to you, having a team in which he's only had one other all-star in his entire career and winning two championships. That's real. That is real. (laughs) So you would consider him the greatest basketball player? Yeah, for sure. Over MJ and LeBron. So here's my thing. Yeah. Michael Jordan is the greatest winner of all time. Okay. LeBron is the most athletic NBA player of all time. Okay. The greatest basketball player. You have someone who can put up 30 points a night, who can pass and get his teammates involved. And at whatever he was, six foot two, be the leading rebounder when you had um, a cream of dual Jabbar on your team and still be the leading rebounder on your team. That is the greatest basketball player. There you go. You heard it here first. Oscar Robertson. I, I, yeah. I know a lot of people will agree with you because a lot of people sleep on Oscar. Um, but yeah, he definitely doesn't get his due respect that the mainstream portrays because i've heard and, i've heard i mean obviously we didn't see oscar growing up but i've heard about him you know and yeah and, and you've done your your research on him so so you know that he deserves that title yeah and like people are going to argue greatest player and i'm like michael jordan is the greatest winner and that's what people mistake right like he wins basketball games but the actual sport itself yeah that's a good point so you wouldn't consider yeah i know people have like their arguments rings just about the rings chasing titles you would consider that the greatest player doesn't need the rings because right yeah it's like you look at like kobe bryant kobe bryant zero wins phil jackson comes in he gets rings yeah then phil jackson leaves then kobe zero championships then phil jackson comes back he wins championships. Then yeah. Phil Jackson leaves, and then he does it. And right. like, then you look at Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan had zero championships and rings, and then all of a sudden he gets um, Pippen, and then all of a sudden he's starting to win rings. Yeah. So, so yeah. if Oscar would have had a better supporting cast, if you will. Yeah. Titles for days. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Okay. So Ryan's go is Oscar Robertson. For sure. Incredible. All right, man. That brings us to the last but not least. Are you for real? Number four. So this one, I don't know. It'd be fun to know what your best fry is. 
best fry? Yeah. Like, who makes the greatest French fries? Amber and I had this discussion, and so I was thinking, yeah, you'd be good, a good person to ask about this. I love, like, double-fried French fries. So, like, they make the French fry, they let it cool, then they rebatter it, and then they fry it again. So it's, like, an extra crunchy. Um, Where do you get that at? Just, like, local places do it a lot. And so okay. I'm trying to think of, like, a national thing that's close to it. And... I'm gonna to have to say the only thing that I can think of that's even kind of close is like Arby's. Okay, that type of style. Love the curlies. Is so, that what it is that what it tastes like, that fry? Yeah. And what what's the local place that does it there? So the local place that I would think of is there's a sports bar that's in Reno called Bullies. And there's probably like six or seven bullies in Reno. And so nice. it's and they're all right next to a high school. And so it's like super common to like after Friday night football games to go over to a Bowie's and get French fries. Nice. Would you also get a pumpkin latte as well? Or do you drink pumpkin? I'm gonna say no to pumpkin. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I remember covering Friday night football in Northern Michigan and I, I would just, that would be my drink, man. To be, probably because it was cold in Northern Michigan. So yeah. I needed pumpkin warm. See, I would do a chai tea, but pumpkin's just not for me. I got you, bro. Chai is amazing. So we can have all the chais. There you go. And then, okay, you have to share the story of driving on your team bus when I came to Reno. Oh, my. Okay. So for all of you people watching, if you're still watching at whatever time, this <laughs> <laughs> good for you. <laughs> but... um. Charlie had told me for months that he was going to come visit me in Reno, Nevada. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where I just blew him off. Like, no, you're not. Like, you just keep saying this. And then he calls me one day. He's like, dude, I'm in Nevada. Come pick me up at the airport. Like, total surprise. And so I drive to the airport and I'm like, I don't see you. Um, what airline are you on? And he says, Allegiant. And I'm like, Allegiant doesn't fly to Reno. And I'm, he's like, I'm totally in Nevada. I'm in Vegas. Come pick me up. Reno and Vegas are an eight hour drive from each other. <laughs> like they are not close at all. And so he's like, well, why can't you just pick me up? I'm like, I'm not driving eight hours to pick you up to drive eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, we had figured out that there was a, like a, a deal for a flight. We got him to Reno and we had a great visit and we're trying to figure out how to get him back um, to Detroit. And it was working for the women's basketball team. We had a game in Fresno, California, and we had to leave before we could figure out Charlie's like flight plans back to Detroit. And so the basketball coach was like, just join our bus driving to Fresno. You can figure it out on the bus ride. And I'm like, okay, guess you're going to Fresno now. <laughs> and um, we just coming from Europe, we're like, what if he took a train to LA and we can get him a flight from LA to Detroit? So cool. We 
on the bus on our phones book a flight or book a bus or a train to LA well on our bus to Fresno uh, we're going over the mountain and there was so much snow that the bus got stuck and we're looking at the time and it's going by and eventually we miss his train and we're like well we'll figure something else out and since they cleared the snow we get the bus over we're like what if he took like a greyhound to los angeles and we look into prices and they're like there's no way we can afford for him to go to la they were way too expensive and then we did the math and said his train is leaving fresno and will be in bakersfield california at this time the bus that's leaving from fresno will be in bakersfield at the same time and then he can just go off the bus to the train and right cool, cool, cool so we buy the bus ticket then the team is like we spent so much time in the snow let's go grab dinner so we grab dinner and we're just watching the clock go by and we're like we're going to miss your bus <laughs> and charlie was like dude we just need to pray god's got this and we're like whatever dude you are going to be stuck in fresno california for the rest of your life we don't need to pray <laughs> <laughs> we need to figure this out and he's like no no, no we need to pray <laughs> so we stop and we pray and you're like okay whatever happens happens and we stop at our hotel for the basketball team and sharing our parking lot is the bus parking lot <laughs> so he just walks across the parking lot to his bus gets on it it's like ready to leave he like slapping the door to like open it <laughs> gets on the bus and his bus meets his train with like five minutes to spare the train makes it to la and he's got like an hour in la before his flight back to detroit and he's just like see i told you god's got this and you're like what the <laughs> wow man that was something else all god dude he just provided he made a way through the trekking of the team stopping randomly and <laughs> You know, like you mentioned previously, there's a lot of people to feed. So there was like a lot of food coming out. It was just the time was ticking. Man, God made a way to get me back home. <laughs> I, I love sharing that experience with you, man. That was awesome. And now we know that Vegas and Reno aren't close to each other. Yeah. Fun <laughs> fact, if you didn't know already. <laughs> That's hilarious, man. I mean, I just thought, hey, Nevada. Yeah, Vegas, you know, but then okay, you know, I should look at the map. It's completely further from Reno. So there you go. <laughs> well, dude, thank you so much for being Absolutely, my guest dude. today. I love you, yeah. dude. Love and, you too, uh, dude. Dear God, please be with Ryan in his life and in his teaching career and as a husband. And I just pray you would bless him. May all of his wildest dreams come true um, with his book, The College Football Idea, and then also with... Uh, helping change and reform the education system to actually care about the students and we just ask you to use mr g to make an impact in these kids lives like he already is and continue to be with him and his wife and protect and bless their marriage and their family in jesus name amen amen all right dude you have a good one you too bro love you bro love you too dude all right later have a good one yeah so i just started this because i'm like you know 
um, I don't know, man. There's just a lot to talk about. And I think especially in the church, there's, um, you know, a lot of people wearing masks instead of just keeping it real. And <laughs> love it. And I just wanted you to be a guest because I love you. You're my friend. You're my brother. And so thank you for being here. So to start Absolutely. out, to start out, I have, I have guests. Um, what's, if you had one walkout song, like if you're a baseball player and you're in the World Series mm. and you had to pick a walkout song, what would it be and why? Mm. I think I would, honestly, whatever song it was, I would just want something with like a big beat, something that like either like gets everyone into it mm -hmm. or yeah, I think that's it. Like whatever is like popular at the time, like I only want like one song for the rest of my life. Like whatever is the most catchy, everyone knows the words to it, song. Cause I just want everyone to be part of like one giant party. And if like the whole stadium is into it, then I think their energy is what's going to make me be the better baseball player. Yes, if you were a baseball player, this whole COVID thing would be tough for you because you feed off the home crowd then. For sure. So like, I don't know, like something like the Dynamite song that's like super popular right now, just because everyone else would get into it. The Dynamite song, who's that by? It's some K-pop group. Um, <laughs> but it's well, like- you, you know what the kids are into these days. For sure. Cause yeah. the, it, it got like a billion views in less than 48 hours. Okay, the Dynamite's on by a K-pop group. Yeah, it's just super catchy and gets stuck in your head. Nice. Hey, thank you again, my brother. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate your time. Hire this man for Department of Education, the U.S. Department of Education. Hey, keep doing your thing, man. Being that husband, being that leader, being that extraordinary coaching teacher that you are. Impacting lives every day, brother. Hey, 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 hey. Thank you so much for listening. If you like that episode, if you like that guest, hey, please subscribe to this and follow this podcast wherever you're listening from today. Share it with a friend. And yeah, just hope you have an amazing, incredible, authentic day. You already know that if you're your first time listening, I started this podcast because I think there's just too many fakeness out there, too much facade, too much scrolling and all this negativity. I just want a space with authenticity. You know what I'm saying? Not just sound bites and clickbait headlines. So thank you so much. If you, you want to be a part of this team, want to be uh, supporting it, I just launched a Patreon. You can check out the link below in the description. And yeah, I would love to, to have you a part of the team. You can uh, contribute ideas for the next podcast episode. You can get the podcast early. You're going to receive motivational talks from Europe, drawing clothes outside because you already know mundane tasks equals deep talk. So there's a whole bunch of content, including uh, on my lovely Bride and I's YouTube channel. You can subscribe, Charlie and Amber. You can check us out there. Um, and check out more footage coming your way from all the adventures from around the world uh, where we've been at. So, yeah, thank you so much again for listening. I would love to have you part of the team through a Patreon account, through Team Authentically. Or you can just be a part of the squad just by listening. That's supporting right there. So, uh, appreciate you guys. Appreciate you wherever you're listening from today. Stay authentic. Lee, this is Charlie. Much love. Hey, peace. Let's enter this new year with abundant joy, abundant blessings from the Lord in Jesus' mighty name, abundant peace, strength, 
uh, health in Jesus' name. Please, God, give us health, give us strength, give us peace, give us hope for a better tomorrow because we need you. That's that's just keeping it real. We're just trying to keep it authentic. We need you, God. We can't do this without you. So, hey, hope you have an amazing day, an amazing new year, wherever you're celebrating from. Happy new year, happy new year, happy new year. All right, we'll see you next time. Peace.